Over the decades, I've been absolutely fascinated by psychedelics. I've discussed them with such notables as my old friend Oliver Sacks, with uh, Michael Pollan, and also with uh, Timothy Leary. And I suddenly recall, as well as hosting him on the program, I was his tour guide in Sydney for a, a very memorable weekend. More recently, I uh, was talking to cultural historian Mike Jay about his book Psychonauts, a history of psychedelic drug taking that uh, precedes the hippie movement by a century. Now, as I find the subject so fascinating, I'm delighted that tonight I'm speaking with Dr. Ellie Kotler, one of two psychiatrists who for the first time in 50 years uh, with the TGA's approval, has been administering one of two legal psychedelic drugs to their patients. Now, the good Dr. Kotler is a medical director of the Malvern Private Hospital in Melbourne, and his patient is Claire, who joins us also. Ellie and Claire... Welcome. Ellie, let's start with the uh, the two particular psychedelic drugs that TGA has approved. What are they? So the TGA has approved MDMA and psilocybin, and MDMA being a synthetic or semi-synthetic compound. It's not necessarily a classic psychedelic, though some people do include it in the class of psychedelic medications or, or compounds, I should say, and psilocybin, which is from magic mushrooms. So they're the two that have uh, been rescheduled by the TGA for specific psychiatric conditions. And the fascinating thing is we don't really know how they work. I think it's good to give a nod to the mystery of the mind and the mystery of how these psychedelic substances react to the mind. We do have some idea, but I, I agree with you that it's um, important to appreciate that these things are somewhat mysterious. The process could be called a healing or integration and appears to function in a way that's very different from a current prevailing paradigm. That's why I actually got interested in psychedelics a number of years ago because I wasn't enamoured with the psychiatric uh, paradigms that I was educated with, because they seem to work more on uh, helping people almost get away from difficult experiences. For example, someone with depression, antidepressants might help them um, remove some of the intensity of the difficult feelings, whereas psychedelics appear to help people turn around and face their difficult feelings and emotions and difficult memories and experiences, uh, which is why it's called psychedelic-assisted therapy. It's very much a psychotherapy facilitated by psychedelics. There's also a term, rebus, which uh, I understand stands for relaxed belief under psychedelics. Yeah, it's rebus and the anarchic brain, which is the most coherent neuroscientific theory we have about how psychedelics do work. We were just speaking about the mystery of it all, but as human beings, we like to try and understand things. And so far, Robin Carhart, Harris and Carl Friston have come up with the leading theory, which essentially notes that all human beings, we have preconceived notions and conceptions about how we see the world, how we see ourselves and other people. And that psychedelics 
help lessen the impact or control that those pre-existing beliefs and feelings and emotional patterns have over us so we can begin to see the world and ourselves and other people uh, in a different way. So, for example, I might understand that um, I'm a bad person and an evil person and I might hate myself and that might go round and round my brain and I may perceive the world and myself through those lenses and psychedelics seem to help disrupt those top-down um, pre-existing beliefs. It's interesting, isn't it, that so many forms of treatment remain mysterious. I'm no fan of uh, electroconvulsive therapy, but even that is a mystery. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the mind is a mystery, isn't it? I mean, to me, the mind is the greatest mystery. And that's part of why I love psychiatry and why I'm interested in it. But all psychiatric treatments are, to, to a significant extent, a mystery. What was the tipping point for the TGA? I think the tipping point for the TGA was um, being shown the evidence. Part of the reason why it happened in Australia was that we have, in some ways, a very clear-cut system. Medicines can be in Schedule 9, which is where medicines have no medical use, and medicines can be in Schedule 8, where there is some medical use, so they are still considered to have some risks, such as addiction risks. In Australia, we had grassroots movements, such as Mind Medicine Australia, which really got behind the evidence, which otherwise wouldn't have been put to the TGA because there were no big pharma companies pushing the medicines, and that's usually how medicines get scheduled in the first place. Now, Ellie, you've already pointed out that they allow people to face their difficulties, their emotional pain, as opposed to trying to rid the person of their emotions and pain and suffering. Yeah, and, and, and that's how I've always understood mental health difficulties or psychiatric diagnoses. I work specifically with addictions, but I meet lots of people with depression and bipolar and, and all sorts, you know, obsessive compulsive eating disorders. To me, the common denominator is that people with psychiatric diagnoses typically have very significant difficulties facing parts of themselves, often emotional parts of themselves, often from childhood or difficult experiences in their lives. As psychiatry as a discipline traditionally has not been great at helping people face these parts of themselves, which to me underlie a lot of the uh, mental health difficulties that we see. My daughter is a psychiatrist and she got into the business with a, a wholehearted passion for the, the talking cure, but it's simply too long and too complex and too expensive. Yes, I've actually, I have actually worked with a daughter who's very nice. So what I tend to do with people is, is I, I work a lot with therapy. I don't use medications that much. And what I realised is that I can help people face these difficult parts of themselves, like you mentioned, the talking cure. And I do believe it can cure, but it can take many, many years and it's very, very expensive. And obviously, a lot of people don't have the time or money to do that and what I saw with psychedelics is that it can speed up the process of integrating those parts of ourselves that are very, very difficult to integrate and sit with. Claire, tell me a little about your story. Okay, so in a nutshell, I guess, I'm third generation Holocaust survivors, had issues growing up, developed an eating disorder around 15, 16, went to America for treatment there, came back here, Still had an eating disorder after that. Um, other things sort of happened. And then later on developed um, a drug addiction. 
So I've been clean from ice for this year will be seven years coming up. Tried, like I've always been against medication, but at one point during my eating disorder I did try Prozac for a little bit, which worked for a week, and then it did the opposite. So then the medication kept going up and up, but the symptoms kept getting worse and worse. So I took myself off that, tried different types of therapy over the years, which wasn't obviously that successful. And yeah, I've been working with Ellie for nearly eight years now. And yeah, last week or the week before we did the first MD session. Claire, why did you seek out this type of treatment? Well, I guess I have always been interested in psychedelics. And I guess I, I know the history of when it was developed and then outlawed and everything like that. And I guess I understood the benefits of it in therapy. Like I've got also experience with recreational use. And from that, I guess I could understand how it's like a good tool for self-exploration. So combined with therapy, I could definitely see the benefits. Not only are you a third-generation Holocaust survivor, but uh, your mum is a yoga teacher, so you grew up with an alternative medical and healing background. Well, yeah, our family was never really fully medical. Uh, we'd always try alternate medicine first, if possible. So I guess I've grown up always with Eastern medicine, Chinese medicine, Indian medicine, all type of, types of herbal remedies. Claire, why did you go to the US in uh, 2008? Well, I don't know what it's like now, but at that point there was no holistic treatments for eating disorders. It was just psychiatric-based and I did not want to go into a psychiatric unit. Now, you got addicted to ice for a while. Yeah, I symptom swapped, so I stopped the eating disorder and then I started the drug addiction. Now, you say that you still have a bunch of unhealthy relationships, although you've made progress. Yeah, that was also just throughout the all those years. But, yeah, I definitely think that there is some progress somewhere. Ellie, take me through a session with a client. So I guess the most important thing to say is that there's a lot of work to do before the session. Some people have summarised that as set and setting you know, to, I guess, move the jargon aside, it's really about preparing the person and the two therapists, because there are two therapists in the medicine sessions. It's really about trying to understand what the person is looking for. The patient and the psychiatrist, I think, you know, need to take some really significant time to try and understand what the person is wanting to get out of the therapy, which is known as a set. And for me, that's about trying to work with people on what parts of their history or psyche or emotional world have been locked out of their conscious experience, most often because of past difficulties in their lives. And then there's this setting, and I guess the aim is to make it as comfortable and safe and non-threatening and non-medical as possible. Um, so we did it in a room with a bed. There are always two therapists during the medicine session. So there are a number of therapy sessions before the medicine session. The medicine session lasts for a full day and it's the patient with two therapists, one of them potentially the prescribing psychiatrist and someone undergoing a psychedelic experience is highly vulnerable. So it's important that there are always two 
people there to ensure safety for, for the person going through the experience. It's interesting that the therapists are there to ensure safety and support and to ask questions. And you make the point, the therapy is not a manualised therapy. It's exploratory. Yes. So the framework I use in in therapy generally is called the psychodynamic framework, which is generally an exploratory framework. And so, yeah, it's not sort of a manualized or directive therapy. It's really, you know, and this is, I guess, speaks to some of the mystery of it all. For some reason, the psychedelic substances appear to allow people to access parts of their mind, which have been very scary or frightening or overwhelming. And it seems to almost do the work itself. So it's really directed by the person's mind combined with the psychedelic experience. It sounds as though it's also a bit therapeutic for the therapist because you're involved in the learning process. Yeah, I mean, I really connect with that statement. I think all therapy, the therapist learns as much as the person getting therapy, absolutely. And this is, I guess, therapy under a microscope or the mind under a microscope. So I agree with you. I think the learning experience is enhanced for both people. Now, whereas conventional medications can be prescribed for months, years, even decades, this, we're talking about a process that is repeated up to three times, a total of three times, under current guidelines. Yeah, that's correct. And it's an important point for people listening to understand that this is not a medication like the traditional psychiatric medications. This is medication-assisted therapy. And to enhance the therapy, the medicine is taken roughly three times each for one day, and those days tend to be roughly one month apart. And hopefully, that's it. So it's it's very, very different from traditional medication. It's really a new paradigm for psychiatric care because it's medication-assisted therapy, and we don't have anything like that at the moment. Claire, tell me how you feel with MDMA, you say that it opens you up. I just felt calm, uh, I guess safe, yeah, and just relaxed and open, and that's quite crucial in therapy. We've talked about the fact that there's only approval for, for three sessions, one session a month. Would you be open to more episodes or more sessions? Yeah, for, for me, the experience is really good in a therapeutic setting. Also, the fact that it, it's a whole day, so compare it to an hour of like normal therapy. So there's definitely um, lots more that you can explore in that, that time. Now, this is all about facing the traumas you've been too scared to face. As we talk together now, to what degree do you feel better? Uh, well, I've noticed that my sleep has been better um, since I did the therapy. I'm not waking up during the night like what I have been. But I also feel like less frozen so that fear is slowly um, dissipating. Back to you, Ellie. As I understand it, uh, you and a psychiatrist from New South Wales treated the first two patients, Claire being one of them, but your colleague had to travel to Melbourne. Why was that? Yeah, the guidelines are a little bit different, uh, as I understand it, from state to state. So in Victoria, the guidelines outlined that MDMA-assisted therapy and psilocybin-assisted therapy can be given in a clinic or a hospital, whereas in New South Wales, they can only be given in a hospital. To my understanding, those um, idiosyncrasies with the legalities 
led to that psychiatrist coming to Melbourne. Ellie, why only two patients? Well, I guess it's a new treatment, and like any new treatment, it has to start somewhere. (laughs) So this is just the beginning. I I do think it's appropriate to say as well that there are psychiatrists and mental health professionals that aren't as excited about this treatment as myself. There has been some backlash within the psychiatric community. So we Um, need more clinicians to be trained. Full disclosure, I'm, I'm the Australian director of the Mind Medicine Australia course, CPAT course, and we are getting quite a few people educated, but there is a bit of a holdup at the moment with the TGA and lots of people applying, but it will expand quite quickly, potentially exponentially, as more psychiatrists get trained and there are more psychiatrists to supervise other psychiatrists. Ellie, 50 years ago, I was offered, uh, asked, in fact, to take part in an experiment with a, a Melbourne therapist. And uh, at the last minute, I chickened out. I just didn't uh, quite have the courage. But also, I'd heard, uh, you know, wild talk about bad trips. That's another reason for having two therapists in the room, isn't it? Just to make sure the patient's safe. Well, yeah, the whole notion of bad trips is an interesting one, and we could talk for a long time about that. It raises an an important issue because of the mechanism of action of these uh, medications in the therapy, because it does help us face difficult aspects of ourselves that we carry around with us. The experiences that people can have on the psilocybin or MDMA can be quite frightening and scary and overwhelming. And the whole point of having the MDMA and psilocybin within the context of therapy is that when difficult experiences come up, which traditionally may have been known as, you know, called bad trips, it's specifically those that we're interested in. So, so in effect, a bad trip can be a good trip. Now, what about side effects, Ellie? <laughs> so there are side effects. There are side effects of every treatment that works. MDMA can have a, a physical effect. It's a stimulant, so probably like going on a jog. It can increase blood pressure and heart rate. Fortunately, so far in the studies, I mean, psilocybin is physically pretty inert, you know, the concerns about the difficulties with psilocybin tend to be more psychological. So far, with both MDMA and psilocybin, the research has suggested that they're safe. We definitely need more research. The research is still in its infancy in many ways, and we're all looking forward to further research. But so far, so good in terms of side effects. I think the main issue with psilocybin and, and MDMA, actually, the main risk for patients is that they're very vulnerable and the people doing the therapy really need to be trustworthy and well-trained. I've read that you've uh, cited Carl Jung's uh, idea that we need to be aware of unearned wisdom. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a fascinating comment. I'm really, I really um, respect Carl Jung and I read a lot of his works. There's also a fascinating history of, of the uh, beginnings of AI, Bill Wilson and his... Um, conversations with Carl Jung over through some letters that they wrote to each other, which have been published now, with Bill Wilson suggesting to Carl Jung that he recommends LSD for alcoholics that can't get better. And Carl Jung was always hesitant about psychedelics. And I take that hesitation seriously because I respect Carl Jung and a lot of his ideas. But I, my, my impression is that at the moment, and which I think is very appropriate, these medicines with therapy are only available for people with treatment-resistant conditions. 
you know, humans that have been suffering for a long time and traditional psychiatric treatments and therapies have not helped them. Although I think Carl Jung's words are very appropriate in general for people using psychedelic uh, medicines and plants, my impression is that for long-suffering humans that have the capacity to make a decision to try these medicines and within you know, a context of therapy and with therapists, that maybe it's worth the risk. Well, that's what Michael Pollan has said on the program on a couple of occasions. Ellie, can you mix pharmaceutical drugs with psychedelics? Yeah, so that's something very important. In fact, there's a whole range of medical and psychiatric aspects to people's presentations that need to be reviewed. There are contraindications to these medicines at the moment. One issue is that MDMA increases something called uh, serotonin in the brain, as do other psychiatric medications. So there are some psychiatric medications that for MDMA need to be weaned and ceased before MDMA. And that can be a difficult thing. In fact, a, a recent Morsley guidelines just came out on deprescribing antidepressants. That's how difficult it can be. And so there are some issues with medications and MDMA. Ellie, you uh, say that psychedelics heal through subjective experience, not chemical experience. What does that actually mean? I'm not sure, but I'll try my best. I've always found long-term, in-depth, exploratory psychotherapy is much more powerful than medications. Medications, when I use them with people, can lead to improvement, whereas therapy really helps people face their difficulties and sit with painful truths and painful emotions. And when people sit with very, you know, including myself and, you know, all humans, when we sit with difficult things and we face them, you know, the words can not do the process justice, but we can use words like integration or connection or insight, which may go some length in trying to explain these experiences that people have, which are really quite healing. I would say that medication doesn't heal. I think medication can help people, certainly, but I do not think psychiatric medications heal people, even though they help. Whereas I think in therapy, in long-term exploratory therapy, people can heal or integrate the difficult parts of them, which can go a long way to helping them live the life that they want to live. Do you expect other psychedelics to be approved? In time, yes, I do. There's a range of other psychedelic compounds that have been used for you know, thousands of years by people around the world, and I suspect they're all equally, if not more, powerful for the mind. And so I suspect um, the research to keep going and more compounds to become available in the future. MDMA, of course, is pure, whereas uh, the street drugs aren't. Yeah, so it's very different um, and it's worth emphasising that. So this is not about using street drugs or party drugs. First of all, uh, chemically, yeah, the MDMA uh, that Claire had was pure MDMA. It's also worth noting that the doses are very different, the experiences are very different, and as has been noted in the past, psychedelics are really, they allow the mind to manifest itself. So really it depends, you know, the impact of psychedelics is going to depend on what you go in with, who you're with, 
and what you're doing at the time, what your intention is. We haven't and, um, we haven't had time to discuss microdosing, but uh, that seems to be a thing. We've got Elon Musk and uh, Prince Harry, for heaven's sake, both openly talking about it. Yeah, it's not my thing. It's not what I'm interested in. I personally would not necessarily recommend that. Claire, what do you yes, think about what do you think about microdosing? Uh, I've done it once or twice, and I did notice a slight different difference. I didn't do it for a super long period of time, but if it's helping people, then yeah, I think people should do what helps them. Now back to you, Leli. Before we wind up, what we're talking about is not covered by Medicare. So, uh, what's the cost? The greatest cost is having two therapists or a psychiatrist and a therapist sit with a person for a full day. So everyone will know that it's expensive to see a psychiatrist or a therapist even for one hour. And uh, in these therapies, psychiatrists and a therapist have to sit with a person all day three times. And it's not covered at all by the government. So costs are going to differ a little bit by how much the psychiatrist and the therapist will charge. But you can imagine that even paying for one-hour therapy uh, is expensive. So having a therapist and a psychiatrist sit with you all day is not going to be cheap. Um, and that happens three times. So those there are very, very significant financial limitations, and that's a massive problem. But in due, course, in due course, with, with changing or evolving attitudes, we may be able to sort that out. Look, thank you both, Ellie, Claire. I appreciate you coming on. Dr. Ellie uh, Kotler is the medical director of the Malvern Private Hospital and a consulting psychiatrist, and Claire is one of his clients. Claire, Ellie, I've appreciated your candour in discussing a complex issue. Thank you. Thanks, Philip. Thanks. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.